Hey, man, is that the Rock News Weekly Podcast? Yeah, man. Well, turn it up, man. This is Rock News Weekly. Every week, we bring you all the latest headlines in rock, metal, indie, grunge, alt, and classic rock news. This week's new releases, this week in music history trivia, movies, pop culture, and more. Now on to this week's episode. This week on the Rock News Weekly Podcast, week of April 3rd, 2023, season 5, episode number 13. This week we talk about Ace Freely demanding a public apology from Paul Stanley or he's threatening to publicly expose secrets about Stanley and Gene Simmons. Operation Ivy's Jesse Michaels and Tim Armstrong have formed a new band and are releasing their debut single. Power Trip Festival reveals their lineup for October of this year and more. Plus this week in rock and roll history trivia, weekly WTF and so much more. Watch us when we go live. Chat with us some more every Sunday, 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, twitch.tv slash rocknewsweekly, and watch on demand, youtube.com at rocknewsweekly. All right. We are live. It's time for the Rock News Weekly Podcast. What's up, everybody? Chris here as well as David. What's up, David? Yellow. Good to have you back. How's everything going, my man? Pretty good. Pretty good. Yep, nice. see you again. Yes, likewise. Uh, Let's get to it. We got lots of things to talk about this week. Uh, The Rock News Weekly Podcast is jam-packed this week of Season 5, Episode number 13, week of April 3rd, 2023. Let's get to it. Ace Freely. Extravaganza! It is. It's an extravaganza of news. Sometimes we get good weeks, sometimes we get bad weeks. Uh, This week, I think, is one of the the better ones. Uh, Ace Freely demanding a public apology from Paul Stanley or he's threatening to publicly expose secrets about uh, Stanley and Gene Simmons. Uh, Operation Ivy's Jesse Michaels and Tim Armstrong have formed a new band, released a debut single, Power Trip Festival, revealing their lineup for uh, October of this year. Plus, this week in Rock and Roll History Trivia, Weekly WTF, and all that, we have a breaking news story that came out yesterday, too, unfortunately, uh, of this um, story from a Morbid Angel show where uh, they were playing a show in Illinois, uh, the venue and the roof collapsed. Oh, and no. Yeah, this was really... Um, oh, and Joliet. Yeah. And, uh, have yeah. you been there? Do yeah, you know people there? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's right outside of Chicago. I mean, really almost like in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Dang. So there was one uh, man who passed away, 50-year-old man, uh, and a bunch of people were injured. A lot of people were seriously injured. Um, so they say, on behalf of Morbid Angel... Uh, they made a statement um, April 2nd, which is today. Uh, by the time some of you guys will be hearing this, it'll be on the 3rd, but this was on Sunday. They said, quote, We want to first and foremost send our deepest heartfelt condolences to the family and friends of the individual who tragically lost their life last night in the venue roof collapsed due to heavy winds from a tornado. We oh, lost man. a brother in metal last night. Many were hurt and injured in this tragedy. We would like to express how truly thankful we are for those in attendance, fans, venue staff, bands, and crew that assisted uh, with getting people out uh, to safety. They say we want to thank the first responders, Fire EMT, that were on the scene, quickly able to get in, help people out of the venue and to hospitals for treatment as quickly as possible. You are the true heroes. At this time, our minds continue to remain with all those who are injured and hospitalized, everyone who is affected by the storms in the surrounding area. Truly hope for a fast recovery for all who were injured. As a result of the events last night, we're working to reschedule, so they rescheduled a bunch of shows. Um, they wanted to pay tribute to the guy who lost their life, uh, Frederick Forrest Livingston Jr., the 50-year-old man who died in the tragic incident. Um, 
So yeah, that, I don't want to go too much into it, but some family shared some stories and stuff. But uh, just pretty tragic, man. You could see some of the. Um, this is outside of the venue here. Oh wow. Yeah, and uh, the the whole roof collapsed outside of the uh, uh, the venue, and it's an old old building, I guess, uh, that they were uh, you know having this show at. But tornado, man, uh, just super tragic. Um, and I guess the tornado alarm went off around like 7.20 something and then the roof collapse happened about 30 minutes later after that. Gosh, that, that is just terrible. They were probably inside the venue and they didn't hear the... Didn't really even know. Didn't I mean, hear the tornado warning. Yeah. Um, so pretty, pretty tragic. I mean, usually places like that, there's a lot of sirens and they go off when, right. when there's a tornado. Or, there, you know, you have a radio on or a TV on the something everything changes but, but i guess in a venue that's yeah, a good point i mean yeah, maybe they need to think of something uh you know and this is a small venue so it's probably not like you know top of the line or connected to a major like yeah. live nation type of deal so who knows uh super tragic so uh tornadoes gosh yeah lately just we have some news about uh some other extreme weather and there are later uh, in the uh in the podcast, uh, some mudslides in Ecuador and all kinds of stuff. So, mm. anyway, we'll get to that later. But tour news: this was a big announcement this week, and uh, the first time that they've done this at uh, this site here in a while. We'll delve into it. It's called Power Trip, and Friday night has Guns N' Roses, Iron Maiden. Saturday's got ACDC, Ozzy, and then Sunday's got Metallica and Tool, taking place at the Empire Polo Club in Indio, uh, Sunday, October eighth, or excuse me. Uh, Friday, October 6th through Sunday, October 8th. Three-day passes, $5.99, plus fees and taxes, and then it goes up from there. So you got to figure that's about 100 bucks a band. You're seeing only six bands. There are no opening bands. There are no smaller artists on this lineup. So my first thing off the bat was like, that's very expensive. I can go and see a lot of these bands for that same price, um, in a nice indoor venue with nice sound, uh, you know, and not having to worry about being like a mile away from the stage with a big festival like this. That was my first kind of thing. The Empire Polo Club. Have you ever been there before? Yeah, that's where they have Coachella. Oh, really? So this is the Coachella grounds. It's the big. It's big. Yeah, it's huge. It's massive. And the stage is massive. I mean, it is. I mean, it's probably going to be the biggest production for a lot of these bands. Like ACDC will be able to do their badass, you know, with the cannons and Giant the ball and, the, and, and the, the bell that they do and all that stuff, right? I mean, it'll be impressive, but for fans, they kind of like section off like the good views for the VIP. And then the, the general admission are kind of like you're on floor ground level uh, just with everyone else in this big massive it's literally a polo club where they run the horses and they have po- yeah. you know huge just open open ground so so it might be a little bit like did you watch that game where what was it warriors the uh like spurs or something and okay they had this giant recently it was a football stadium yeah it was like earlier this year okay and they had a football stadium or oh something no like no i didn't see that and it i mean they got like all of san antonio or whatever into the stadium wow but you're way back just 
like yep. way back. It's like you see way off in the distance a little bit of light, and you can see the basketball and, players. Yeah, and it's kind there. of the same thing. They have a big screen, so obviously you could see everything on the screens and things like that. But I just felt like the main stages were like the the least impersonal, you know, out of all the stages, especially at Coachella. The fun part for me was seeing a lot of those bands, the smaller bands, up close and personal. You could walk right up to some of those smaller stages, yeah. you know. But with a show like this, there's no way. I mean, so I mean, at this show, we've got these huge names, mm-hmm. and it's just these six. Is that is that all? Yep. There, is no one opening? Nothing it's else. Just this. That's it. Two bands each. We were, we're speculating too. How long do you think these artists can pull off a set? I was saying two hours at the most. I was thinking maybe like an hour and a half. I mean, Ozzy Osbourne. How can Ozzy really do a, a more than an hour and a half, right? Right. That's that's going to be tough. Maybe ACDC could pull it off, I think, uh, but they're old as, you know, shit. Uh, Iron, Iron Maiden can definitely do it. Well, and that's you've got Ozzy Osbourne Guns and Roses can do it. ACDC can do the it. same night. I know. So that's interesting. I wonder. Well, you know what else is interesting? If you remember when we were looking at Aftershock uh, on Saturday night is the Pantera reunion. This is the same weekend as Aftershock, right? Okay. So Saturday night's got Ozzy on it. Well, on the Pantera reunion, it's Zach Wilde on the guitars. Normally, he's with Ozzy. Yeah. So we don't know who Ozzy's touring guitarist. Some people are speculating it's producer Andrew Watt, maybe somebody else. We don't know. But it just seems like it's it's kind of weird because that's that's literally the same night that Zach Wilde's going to be in Sacramento. There's no way that he could possibly do it, you know? couldn't fly in and out or anything like that it's that's that's going to be different and uh, me personally if i was seeing ozzy at some something like this i'm going to want to see zach wilde or somebody significant i don't want to fill in so to me that was kind of a weird thing they could have picked any other night but they didn't uh which night would you go (sighs) that's a good question i guess uh wow well, I guess in terms of rarity, I guess I would do the ACDC and the Aussie. Yeah, I think so, too. Because I think those two are on the last leg. And Iron Maiden is in that category, too, but Iron Maiden tours more. And I've seen them recently. I saw them last year. And I've seen them maybe th- uh, four or five times total. But don't see Aussie very often. I saw the Black Sabbath tour. I saw the Aussie solo. I saw ACDC once. And that was when they did the b- big tour, like five uh, se- wow, seven years ago now, 2015, 2014, mm. last time they did a big tour. Um, so they don't tour very often. Metallica tours all the time. Tool, they're a little more rare, but they tour more often, and they're young, and so I, I don't see them call yeah. it quits anytime. So I guess Saturday. What about you? Yeah, I think I think I would Saturday or Friday. Yep. I don't know. You know, those are. I don't know. It's like Metallica. I always have a little bit bitter. I, taste in my mouth from Metallica. I feel yeah. like uh, the the better show in terms of a actual really good show you would get uh, from Guns N' Roses and Iron Maiden, believe it or not. I feel like those two yeah. bands are at the top of their game right now. Um, ACDC and Ozzy definitely got some rust and stuff, and they have that nostalgia thing and kind of their legacy and pedigree. But in terms of a show, I don't know. I mean, you're going to get Ozzy maybe sitting down the entire time. He's saying himself he can't stand up for a full show. Yeah. So. We'll have to see, right? So anyway, uh, starting at five ninety nine, tickets are on sale. I don't know if they're are already um, 
you know, sold out or not, but somebody's making a lot of money on that. <laughs> they are. Right? The bands are getting millions for sure. Right. Well, I, I mean, I was listening to something the other day and talking about sort of sort of uh, smaller bands. You make a majority of your money at shows, apparently. Yeah. Like now, selling merch, you get, you know, a fraction of a cent for each play on like right. Spotify or whatever. And that's kind of cut into people going to see live music. So it's like, dang, that's, you know, that's a bummer. Um, a big giant show like this, these bands can pull that in. And then they, you know, they make the the sales of merch and all the everything oh, yeah. that happens at the show. So Definitely. And uh, that's that's really where the bands, you're right, make their money these days is doing the live touring circuit and doing shows, selling merch. Which is surprising. I mean, that's just the way it is now because of what you said with yeah. uh, streaming. You don't get any money from that. Everybody wants to pay their Spotify or for free or they'll do the bare minimum eight ninety nine a month or whatever it is, is these days. Which is just goes, a bunch of baloney. It doesn't go anywhere to these artists, you know. Yeah, I mean, your favorite rotten. artists, you know, they're getting nothing. And we're getting all the access to their music for free, basically. Well, and apparently Spotify, the $10 a month thing, had nothing to do with uh, how much it takes to run the business. Right, no. It was just, you know, they had someone come in and consult and said, you should do $10 a month. That's what people will pay. And yeah. So they're like, okay, $10 a month. But that's not enough to, like, no. actually pay people. <laughs> no. You know? no, it's like you're giving them, like, a fraction of a cent. Yeah, and then it kind of does a hit on the whole. So I do think people feel guilty for that or becoming at least more aware. And they know that going out live and supporting them, buying a shirt, buying the vinyl, doing all that stuff goes directly to the band and they get a bigger chunk. So hopefully people uh, will continue that and that trend will continue. Um, All right. So, yeah, some more tour news. Uh, Vent Sevenfold, big tour announcement for them. But it's mostly Canada and northern um northern north america we got michigan we got illinois we got new jersey boston or well massachusetts minnesota um, oh yeah yeah saskatoon yeah saskatoon yeah Winnipeg, edmonton yeah, yeah cowboys we, up there with yeah. all the oil and everything uh vancouver yeah yeah look at all that clarkston michigan what the hell i mean where are these Ottawa, I know that. Montreal, Quebec, those are those are big. Yeah, Clarkston. Is that? I wonder if that's outside of like Detroit or something. Yep. So anyway, Life is But a Dream tour there from Event Sevenfold just announced. Big deal for them. I, I really like that poster. Yeah, the poster's the cool. The artwork's cool. It's a lovely cool. poster. They've been uh, showing. This is going to be artwork off of the uh, upcoming album. It's coming out June second. The okay. new album from Event uh, Sevenfold. So good old fashioned, you know. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, Smashing Pumpkins, big tour with uh, Interpol, Stone Temple Pilots, Stone Temple Pilots, Rival Sons, interesting kind of lineup there. Yeah, I feel like Stone Temple Pilots is the odd man out a little bit. Um, that like, I don't know. I'm. I mean, I. I mean, I guess maybe I'm out of the loop, but what do you I haven't heard much from Stone Temple Pilots. No, well, yeah, no, they tried to put out a new album with their new lead singer guy. It didn't really do well. Um, and they're just basically kind of, you know, sad to say it, like a nostalgia. Well, Scott Whelan, he, he passed. Right? Yeah, 2016. Yeah. So uh, STP's been just like doing, they got a Scott Weiland fill-in, and he kind of like looks like him, kind of acts like oh, him. Really? 
Yeah, it's a little weird. That is... Well, I mean, I have to say, I can't think of an album that I listen to more than... And I can't remember the name of it, but the Stone Temple Pilots album... It was Stone Temple Pilots. Yeah, it was Purple. self-titled, right? Oh, no, maybe it was... Well, Purple. so the, the three, the first... The very first one was Core. Probably not that one. No. But I'm guessing Purple. The Purple yeah. one with Interstate Love Song. Yeah. I mean, I, gosh, that's, I can't, a, I that's an amazing it's album. A wonderful album. The, I remember the CD vividly. It had uh, the dragon scales on it. It yeah. was like this yellow and green dragon scales, um, and that was one of the first ones I bought. Like that one, that Sponge CD, um, some of those green early Green Day green ones. Day, yeah, that, that, that that's what I that's what us, I love know. about STP. That's and they're banking on that nostalgia now. Yeah, because people want to see those songs. I never got a chance to. Well. I don't want to say that. I saw Stone Temple Pilots one time with Scott Weiland at the Greek Theater in Berkeley, like around 2008, 2009. It was really good. And Scott Weiland was top-notch, wasn't all weird or drugged out or nothing. Then, like, later, I remember we were at Bottle Rock, and we got to interview Scott Weiland with when the group he was called, uh, he was with at the time, they were called the Wildabouts. It was Scott Weiland and the Wildabouts, and it was after Stone Temple Pilots had kind of dissolved. And he was doing this other group, and he just looked like spaced out, like all kind of just out of it, right? And we were there at the press conference, and I remember being there at the press conference. I can't remember if I got to ask them a question or not, but every answer he was giving was just like off the wall and just like kind of spaced out and weird, and it was... Do you think really sad? We found out he was like all just on dr- like kind of medication, you know. And oh, really? They found him in the tour bus, uh, like a year later, like just dead, like off of whatever. I don't know, painkillers or I can't remember if it was actual heroin or fentanyl or whatever. But super sad. Did do you know anything about the sort of dissipation of Stone Temple Pilots at the time? I don't really. Um, I mean, we could check it out on Wikipedia, but I would guess it was something along the lines of creative differences or his continued it's drug use. work with... He's, with yeah, that. and his continued drug use was becoming a problem, and the other guys in the band were like, we don't want that to happen yeah, anymore. I, I wonder, I mean, yeah, with, with him gone and they're kind of doing this they have a, n- a new Re- young guy, and he's relaunch. a good guy and everything, yeah. and he seems really passionate and cool. But, yeah, maybe he's just, you know, that was the thing. It's like we want somebody who's sober, you know, take this job seriously kind of deal. So who knows? Yeah. Um, but anyway, Smashing Pumpkins on tour with them. They have some shows coming up, Mountain View uh, at the Shoreline on August 3rd, uh, and some other shows uh, all across the U.S. So check it out. Uh, this was a big deal. Operation Ivy's Jesse Michaels, Tim Armstrong formed a new band. Did, did by chance did you uh, get a chance to hear this song at all? No, no. Um, I'll cue it up for you as I talk over it. Um, yeah, they formed a new band called Bad Optics, and uh, the last time that they did some music together was quite some time. I think it was over. 15 or 20 years where they had another side project that they kind of got together for. I forget the name of it. It was just a one-off. But in terms of Operation Ivy, that was 1989. So you got to think what? That was like, how long ago was that? Uh, Good 30, 33 years, something yeah, somewhere around there. Kindy Gap. Something like that. Um, Full House wasn't on yet. <laughs> <laughs> 
it was quite quite some time. Uh, it was a while ago, so I guess this kind of came organically, and they just kind of got together to kind of catch up with each other. Let me read the little thing, and then we'll play the music. All right. So, uh, yeah, their debut single. They, it's a song that uh, is kind of back to their roots of their reggae kind of influences, which is kind of neat. Um, so apparently the optics, bad optics roots trace back to a couple years ago, March 2021, 32 years after Operation Ivy's breakup. After initially meeting up purely with the intent to reconnect, uh, Tim and Jesse found themselves working on new music together. To round up the lineup, they got Joey Castillo, uh, Castillo, the drummer from Circle Jerks in the Bronx, and Spencer Pollard from Trash Talk. Then they say, quote, as soon as we started writing together, we, fi- we found that we had the same collaborative energy that we had in the past, so it was just natural and fun to keep going, uh, Michael said in a statement. Last year, Michaels and Armstrong reunited at Los Angeles Muzak, Muzak Rock and Roll Carnival, where they performed Operation Ivy Sound System. Um, and some people thought, oh, Operation Ivy is going to be coming back, and nothing happened after that. It was just kind of let that way, their way of reconnecting, and now they've formed a new group. So here's some of their new stuff. Check it out. What do you think so far? I I like it. I mean, I'm I'm partial to the aesthetic. You know, I like I like the feeling of it. Do you think it's a lot of people are kind of saying it's a it's too much of a kind of like generic kind of reggae approach that it's not a very original? I guess is what I I'm mean. Saying. To me, it's sort of like I I me personally, I feel like part of the draw for something like this is that folks, you know, and this is coming out sort of, I mean, they're more sort of U.S. based, right? Yes. But more people now in the U.S. are starting to understand the roots of punk and ska and connecting it with the Windrush generation in Britain. Yeah. And the Rude Boy aesthetic, all that stuff that the beginning I don't think of people the clash. here have any clue about. Yeah, the beginning of the Clash and right. a lot of those bands. So doing something like this, I think, strikes a chord for people. Just the flat-out reggae, right? Or at least really true to that original aesthetic. I think that's something that means something to people a little bit more. Now. I, I think so. I mean, so. to me, that's, it hits me right. I'm like, yeah, I like it. And I think I think that was the reason why they got together is they found this common ground of what you're saying. Yeah. Why they started Operation Ivy in the first place. Well, and that sort of like going back to the and I feel like it has to do with the kind of tendencies towards far right politics in the U.S. and people sticking back to like an anti-racist tendency that was found in the working class skinheads that that made this music. Right? Yeah, definitely. You know, that anti-racist skinhead tendency that, that really is what they come from. Yeah, and that's what they stood for. And it was a, a pretty pretty neat thing, man. So, yeah, I'm digging it. 
I want a full release. I want a tour. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's good to see some good old Operation Ivy. Right? Some new stuff. What's old is new again and kind of... uh, Well, not Operation Ivy, but... Yeah. Some good old bad optics. Bad optics. Which is, I think... Good old... Good old... Bad old... It's a clever kind of play... Like a lot, you know, people are like op ivy a lot, you know. That's, yeah. And so bad optics is kind of a clever little yeah, yeah. twist on that. So good for them. All right, let's get to the drama this week. I have it. I have it queued up. So I want to play this for you, the the actual clip. It's about a minute and a half of Ace Freely demanding an apology from Paul Stanley, or he's threatening to expose secrets that he's got. And it's interesting, man. He talks about some... He says, apparently... <coughs> excuse me. Ace Freely has a security uh, deposit box with a 120-page memoir that he wrote that he says if anything happens to him, I will release it's going to be sent out to the New York <laughs> Times and a bunch of other places. And he, If and, anything happens to yeah, him. Yeah. I gosh. swear to God, dude. Listen to this guy. It, it, it's true. Well, so, but first... That's a good-looking fella there. I know. Ace, Ace is looking good. He's looking good these days. All right, so this is an interview he had with Eddie Trunk. Let me switch the screen so people on Twitch can see it. For everybody on the podcast, you got to watch this on Twitch.tv when we do this stuff live. Or, oh, excuse me, Twitch.tv slash Rock News Weekly when we do this stuff live. Or on YouTube at Rock News Weekly. Uh, so either way, you guys can watch a little bit of this video footage uh, check it out. So this is Ace Freely with Eddie Trunk uh, talking about how he was basically kind of an ultimatum. He says he gives him seven days to respond. And at press time, yeah, it almost sounds like like a mafia yeah. kind of uh, ultimatum. It's kind of crazy, dude. Check it out. All right, so here we go. Let me play it for you guys. Uh, as far as what he said on Howard Stern, I'm I'm gonna make a statement for Paul Stanley right now. And Paul, if you're not listening, I'm sure one of your associates in the KISS group are. And I'm telling you that I want a formal apology for what you said and a retraction and an apology within seven days. And if I don't get that within seven days I'm coming back on Ed Trunk's show, your show Ed if you if you'll have me. And I'm going to tell some dirt that nobody knows about Paul and Gene that I've always kept to myself because I'm the kind of guy who doesn't, you know, talk about it. I like to talk about the positive stuff. You've read my book. You've read Paul's book. You've read Peter's book. You know, a lot of times those guys are just throwing people under the bus. I mean, in Paul's book, he even threw Gene under the bus, you know. But what I try to do is have a fun, entertaining book, uh, you know, with interesting stories. And uh, this is the way I am, you know. I'm not the kind—I'm not the kind of guy who kisses and tells, you know. And uh, when it comes to negativity, and we've all done things that we regret over the years, uh, it's there. I have a 120-page manuscript that I wrote after I finished my book, and my attorney has it in the safety deposit box. God forbid anything happens to me, <laughs> my attorney is instructed to release it to the New York Times, Rolling Stone, API, everybody. So, I mean, they can't intimidate me with like, you know, 
trying to hurt me or, or say, you better not say anything about me live on the radio because then they're totally screwed. Their careers will be ruined. <laughs> All right. <laughs> We don't want to get too far in the weeds with it because the full interview is up on Eddie Trunk's thing if you guys want to check it out. Uh, but just off of hearing that, what do you, what do you think, uh, you know, about, I, about that there? Th- that image that you gave right before, I mean, I was <laughs> like, we got a real, like, uh, why can't I think of the Danny Montana. Or, what's Tony Montana. Tony Montana, right? Well, well, like, the, no, this is more, this is. This is like the the Goodfellas, like uh, you know uh, Tony Soprano. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. you're thinking in the New Jersey, like Tony yeah, Soprano. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, in the sense that he's like, you know, we, we all do things, and then he's like, <laughs> I, I I I've been very good to you. Yeah. I, I read a nice. I'm book. not a kiss and tell. I'm not a kiss and tell. I didn't, you know. Basically, he was saying like I could have said a lot more in my book, and I didn't. Yeah. And I put this extra stuff in a safety deposit box that. Has shit on there that's you know whatever. Incri- maybe right, I want to know. I, I like I to know. see, and it, cu- it turns out it's like, you know. Do you think it's Paul craps be? the bed? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. Paul sleeps up sound side down like a bat. Right. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. It's gonna be something weird. No, I don't know. I don't know if it's gonna really be incriminating weird. or what. But it's uh, you know it's an interesting kind of. Well, I kind of wonder, yeah. From from Ace, like he's never really done that before, and so what what Paul said about him, so this all happened because Kiss recently was on Howard Stern. Have you seen those headlines? They gave the Howard Stern interview first, like Howard Stern interview with Kiss. Like, you know, I guess I don't know if it was ever or in a long time. They're talking about the final tour, everything. Big interview with Howard Stern. It was the past couple months. It's you know. been taking up media anyway so he was asked um you know he reject he asked about like the whole thing what happened with uh the rock and roll hall of fame why he rejected uh, ace freely and peter chris being involved in that performance for the rock and roll hall of fame and it was in 2014 when that happened and he said stating it would look like kiss but sound like piss that's what paul stanley said and and that was uh, wow. uh you know he said um, Ace Freely, at the time, he was eight years sober when he made, th- so he's made this statement, you know, and he's been sober for a long time, hasn't been on drugs, he's been touring more than them. Eddie Trunk made a point about, like, how can they say this when you're the one who's actually putting out all the original music these days, you're recording stuff, you're touring, you're playing three or four shows in a row. Kiss is, like, spacing out their shows to, like, have, you know, one show a week basically to where they are you know able to do it you know ace freely still able to do it so he could still play yeah so kiss's excuse uh you know they're trying to you know basically say it's bullshit that he can play he's fine he's sober why are you still talking shit about him basically you know he's not some you know junked out fucking guy that can't fucking play the lead anymore and and handle a show he can and he's probably in better shape than you guys so look at him he looks great to me, looks yeah. better than Paul and Gene in a lot of ways. And I guess uh, he, he even talks shit on the, I didn't uh, cue it up on the uh, Eddie Trunk thing, but he keeps taking jabs at Paul for that uh, backing track thing. Remember we were talking about mm, yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, Where yeah. Kiss is playing to a backing track, 
and Kiss's manager was basically defending it, saying, "Oh, you know, everybody does. Everyone this, does you know? this. Yeah, yeah. So you know, he's complimenting the vocals, and and Ace was like, "That's bullshit." He's like, "It cheapens the brand of Kiss," and he's like, "I still get royalties from Kiss, and so for me, I I have a say yeah, in that." I don't like to hear. Uh, he's like, "Yeah, like you're that. cheapening the brand," you know. And so yeah, he's got a lot of valid points, man. And Ace is a real guy. Like he's like you could tell that in the way he talks and what what you're saying about the Tony <laughs> Soprano. He's a real New Jersey guy. Like he doesn't fuck around, you know, or from Long Island or wherever the hell he's from, you know. Uh, he, you know, he's he's a, he's a real dude. So fit you with a new pair of shoes. Yeah, cement shoes down in the river. All right, we'll see what happens with all that though. It's interesting. This next week. A week from today, we'll be talking about maybe the result and Paul Stanley's re- rebuttal. I can't wait for that, you know. Anyway, so let's let's get back to the news. We got some more stuff here. Uh, interesting stuff from Black Sabbath, uh, Geezer Butler, uh, of course, amazing bass player. We're going to be talking about his new memoir that's coming out. Speaking of memoirs, um, you know, uh, Ace has got his out there. All the big rock stars do. Geezer has got some stories to tell, I'm sure. It's called Into the Void, From Birth to Black Sabbath and Beyond. So he posted about this on social media saying, quote, After spending my entire life creating memories to eventually set aside how reserved I am, I've put pen to paper or fingers to keyboard. The recollection of my life thus far is coming out 6623. Yes, I know that 2 times 3 is 6, although unintentional. Having that as a release date suits me fine. So people were saying that it was like six, six, six. That's a pretty cool uh, cover art. If you guys can see that on the podcast or uh, on the Twitch channel here, what do you think of it? Yeah, that that looks that's that's solid. That's that probably solid. one of the best you know pictures of him I've seen. That's pretty rad. He's like got all this smoke around him. I always feel jealous. He's got a, his name is. <laughs> a, He's a real. It is <laughs> pretty. Look at this geezer. Yeah, it is pretty fucking uh, a badass name. Uh, and look at, I just noticed that they misspelled it right here on the headline. Yeah, they put yeah. Gezer. Gezer. <laughs> they just couldn't. They just couldn't handle it. They're like, it's not really geezer. Anyway, right? uh, so the book's official announcement stated, "Quote: Eric Clapton, Jimi Hendrix, Frank Zappa, and the Who are expected to make appearances throughout the book, as the band rubbed elbows with some of the greatest musicians in rock." So. That's going to be a cool uh, story yeah, yeah. to hear. Uh, so, Into the Void coming out, what was it? Uh, 6623. So, there you go. Easy to remember. Yep. Tom Morello, uh, in a new interview with Rolling Stone, you guys can check it out on their site for all the full article. But it was really a, a pretty in depth article about why Rage Against the Machine had to stop their tour um, last year. Excuse me. Um, and Tom Morello kind of talks about this, frankly. And Zach De La Rocha, if you guys remember, injured his Achilles heel. Do you do you remember that from the, in the beginning of last year? Rage Against the Machine was supposed to have this tour with Run the Jewels. It's gonna be a big tour. Man. It was gonna be kicking off in 2022, January, right? Yeah. Well, look at look at the picture here. You guys can see it on the Twitch channel and the YouTube channel. Zach De La Rocha. This is when it happened. Well, no, this is after. He completed a lot of the tour dates doing this, sitting down on a road box, doing the show as such, just basically screaming, you know, rocking out from a sitting position. He didn't even have a chair. 
He's just kind of sitting there, impromptu. He's got some, looks like it's some tea <laughs> off to the side here, just kind of chilling. So what do you think of that uh, photo? Just like, you know, if you were a fan and you went to uh, go see Rage Against the Machine for the first time, David's never seen him. And then you set this up well because this is like, <laughs> would you I mean, be happy with that? The physicality of Zach De La Rocha is kind of part of the it's, thing, right? I mean, it's the whole experience. Like, it's a big part of the experience. I right? agree. It's, I mean, you know, Rage Against the Machine. That's that throbbing sort of like, you know, makes want to make you get you know, up. One of the best, the best sounds. I mean, yeah. I mean, I love Rage Against the Machine. Um. That's that is a bummer. That is a bummer. I feel this way, the same way about this that I do about Ozzy. Like, I, if uh, you've ever seen yeah. Black Sabbath or Ozzy live, the way that he kind of hangs on a microphone and he does his thing as Ozzy is very iconic. Yeah. And I feel the kind of the same way with Zach De La Rocha, that the way he's all over the place is I, I, I you know, it would be like um, the other guy from Mars Volta, Cedric Bixler Zavala, I think. Um, the, the lead singer. He's very animated, right? Yeah. All over the place. You imagine seeing him sitting down the sitting entire down. show. I mean, not to not to be like not to be like, oh man, you know, this right, yeah. this sucks or whatever, but to it's it kind of would bum you out. It, it, it would. would just be like it's just like how my foot hurts. And I'm like, oh man, I'm forty. It almost you know? it's like a reality check. <laughs> yeah. Right? You're just like, damn, yeah, he's getting old. I'm getting old. Yeah. Fuck. I guess yeah. this is where we're at, you know? We're we're seeing Zach De La Rocha sitting on a road case, you know. Well, you know, that's a really serious injury, so Yeah, it it really is. Achilles heel, it's literally that term. It's like a big weakness, right? I mean it kinda yeah. holds your stuff together. So here's the reason the reason why they actually show uh canceled the tour. Um is interesting here here it was he added that the band had to skip their world tour because of doctor's orders quote i don't know all the details but there's dangers of flying there's dangers of blood clots and all of that i wasn't in the room but it's not optimum to be on the road with a newly ruptured achilles there could be blood clots from flying on the plane so they were saying that was a big risk and not to be a Debbie Downer, but my dentist here in Merced passed away taking a flight to Hawaii and had a blood clot in his legs. Oh, Doc Booth? Yes. Oh, wow. From flying to Hawaii. Pretty, you know, I mean, he may be a little overweight, but not really. Uh, pretty reasonable health. Apparently, on long flights like that, it's typical because you're sitting for a long time sitting you get kind of dehydrated your circulation's yeah, not your so circulation's good to begin so with good. maybe and then something like this with an injury for zach de la rocha could you imagine dude on the plane to yeah. go into japan or wherever the hell they're going mexico wherever they're flying to and lots of flights lots of yeah. flights and long flights not just like you know going to vegas the short ones or something like that right so what do you think of that? Hearing that about you know the Achilles heel and kind of like that's, it's almost kind of like poetic or ironic or however you want to say it, his Achilles heel kind of being the catalyst for a lot of these things there. That <laughs> right? That, that is poetic. Um, yeah, gosh, because it's it's yeah, I'm, I'm speechless. Really, I mean, just that just kind of sucks. So here's another part that I did enjoy. So let's do the silver lining. Let's talk about the good news. According to Tom Morello, 
No fans at any show in the history of Rage Against the Machine have ever had a vaccination requirement to be in the room ever. And they say their dynamic ticket pricing, which is very controversial. We were talking about that with The Cure um, a couple weeks back. Remember how Robert Smith was like very vocal about the dynamic ticket pricing? They say every ticket for the show was $125 with the exception of about 5 to 10% of the tickets, which we did the dynamic prices with. And gave away every cent. So they said every penny over 125 went to charities in those cities. In New York City, we raised over a million dollars for activist organization charities. There was a total of about six or seven million raised on that tour in what was basically a Robin Hood tactic. So it was a way that I, I think they're trying to turn the negative into a positive, saying they, they could have controlled those dynamic ticket prices which was an opt-in, but they decided to use the money from it to turn it into charity. So they realized either we could use this as a profit or we could turn it into a charity donation. And I think that was probably the best best option there. So what do you think of all that? Well, I'm a little unclear. So this is the the extra that would have, would have come from the tour or like these are... Right. So apparently these are... Um, the $125 is the maximum base ticket price. Mm-hmm. Over that, there's dynamic ticket pricing. Like when you go to Ticketmaster's website and you want a ticket for a sold-out show, they will have a verified reseller from Ticketmaster selling that ticket for a higher higher than face value price, say 300 bucks, right? Uh-huh. That extra money goes somewhere. It goes to the band and Ticketmaster as well, right? So the band gets an additional cut from that dynamic ticket pricing, they call it. Um, that profit they're saying over that threshold of the base ticket value went to charity. Okay, so this is the shows that maybe they completed will, will, that they were completed. They I sold if for if they keep doing this, that'd be good in the future. And um, I think it's good that they're actually you know uh, making a statement about this and kind of putting other bands on the spotlight in the future now. Yeah. Well, I mean that's a. The great thing about Raven somebody Raven like Taylor Swift should do this. Totally somebody committed. like the Jonas Brothers, somebody like Ed Sheeran should be doing this kind of stuff too. Yeah, their dynamic ticket pricing should be going to charity. They don't need the extra millions of dollars. They're already getting plenty. You know, in my mind, you know. But. Well, I mean, Rage Against the Machine is hardcore, and they like, kind of stand really against that. Through. So I yeah. think it's a smart move career-wise, because people could really point that out and being like, "Hey, guys, you're you're being antithetical to." Your your uh, you your your for, origin, yeah. yeah, of what you guys stand for, right? So, good for them, I guess. All right, some more rock news. Metallica bassist uh, Robert Trujillo revealing that he's finally going to be singing on an album in Metallica's catalog, their upcoming album, Seventy Two Seasons. It was kind of crazy to think about that he's never sung on an album. He's been in the band for a long time, so he talked about this. He says, "Quote: When I joined Metallica, I never sung in my whole life." So, the, so he's never sung, like, ever. So th- they didn't hire him for that reason, obviously. They don't need the help or whatever, right? So he says, so the fact that I can support a backup vocal is pretty cool. For the first time in my life, I get to sing on Metallica record and support James. I'm very uh, proud of that. It's the first time that James and co-producer Greg Fidelman, Fid- Fidelman uh, have, have probably ever trusted me with that. So, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty cool. Um, so, so he's uh, he's already like the coolest looking guy in the band. He is, and, and I think he's the coolest dude, right? For sure. um, yeah. That I mean, 
it, it's I, I'm I'm excited to hear it. It's, it's know, one right? of those things that I mean, yeah, he's he's done it, so it's probably not really bad. But what if it was really bad? <laughs> he says, "quote The part lends itself to my personality, to my voice, and it sits and slots really well with the moment and the bass breakdown." So it's cool that I that it's this breakdown that James and I were able to jam on and create, and then I get to. So it sounds like he, you know, he's actually. It's not forced. Yeah. So maybe it's not like something that is real over the top and a whole bunch. No, it sounds like it's a breakdown. So yeah. maybe he's like, well, I wonder if it's almost spoken word or yeah. kind of, you know, that's neat. So good for him. He's cool, man. I can't wait to hear it. All right, so let's get to some birthdays. We got some birthdays. Let's do it. Oh, look at him. He's got his uh, dance clothes on there. A real steal of a deal at the stride right. All right, so we got who we got here? Uh, All right, we've got John Evan, former keyboardist of Jethro Tull, is 75 years 75, old. 75, look at him jamming away. I could not find a photo for the life of me of this guy for some reason. He's elusive. Uh, and I just wanted to point out his shoes because they're like leather, I think, loafer maybe, type maybe shoes. Maybe floor shimes. Yeah, something. <laughs> Penny loafers. He's got very baggy pants over those leather loafer shoes. Well, that's the style now. <laughs> I, I you guess. All the kids are you know, wearing well, the baggy you, pants. Well, you dress for comfort at 75. Right. You know, who cares what they think? Right. Uh, Tony Banks, keyboardist of Genesis. Look at him, man. Dude, look at Tony, dude. Yeah. He's killing it. That's a that's a recent photo. Really? Mm-hmm. Not a not hardly a wrinkle on him. I He's, mean, I look, I look that age. They're touring. Uh, as I was mentioning, um, Phil Collins, uh, he sings se- seating se- in a seat, and then his son is on the drums now. So, Man alive. Genesis still very active. So that's what my face would look like if I lived in England. <laughs> right. That does where seem I'm, like where yeah. my skin is supposed to be. And yeah, like no yeah. sun, no sunburns. Right? But you got a little, little bit of a mullet going on there. Well, know? that's uh, that English again. Mullet. That is also it's an English the mullet. Kids these days, you know, it is kind of hip. All I'm right. gonna get myself one of those Edgar mullets. Speaking so. of hip, look at that hat. Wow, Andrew Ferris. Ex-keyboardist of NXS is 64. So I are you sure that's not David Cross? Well, <laughs> I looked this guy up. I could, I had to look at the picture. All the pictures were coming up of him playing guitar, and I'm like, well, I thought he was the keyboardist of NXS. Well, he doesn't want to be associated with that anymore, and he's like a country guitar player now. What? Yeah, and so all the photos that came up of because well, yeah, I mean he looks uh, he's Amish. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Right, I'm I'm surprised because you can't see his it buttons. is like a pinstripe. Look at that. You're right. It's like a no collar pinstripe with right? a vest, a little Mandarin collar with a <laughs> vest, and he's got the broad rimmed hat. Wow. He's maybe or maybe he's a, a Mormon polygamist. I don't know. He's he's seen the light or something. I yeah. Don't know. He's he's. I, I have to say, <laughs> I really like NXS, man. Some good some. They good did songs. have some good stuff. They did. You're right. All right. John oh. Popper, singer of Blues Traveler, is 56, and yeah, he's he's lost a lot of weight. He has, good. yes, he has. He has lost many, many pounds. So I mean, he's looking better. These he's, he's yeah. even thinner than this. I think this was from maybe 10 years ago. I think he's even thinner than that. But now. didn't he used to have sort of a beard situation? Yeah, he did. I missed that. I think. Yep. I think. It, I think it suited him. But you know. 
Uh, Perry Farrell, singer of Jane's Addiction, is 64. Is that a recent picture? Yeah, this is from like five years ago. I tried to find like a very recent one, and some of them were just kind of weird, and I didn't want to get into copyright. But I, I feel like he looks younger than he did when, when he was popular <laughs> back in the no, day. No, I know, right? And I, I feel like he's very like... Um, I don't want to say it, but like kind of like a Hollywood kind of situation here. Like yeah. you know, you could tell he's very uh, you know well taken care of and all that shit, and got you know nice hair and you know probably gets a facial you know and massage or something like that. So do that. you think he still uh, he still does some shoplifting? I don't think so. No? I think he's past that point in his life. Uh, yeah, he's not addicted to got, heroin you know, anymore. Got Instagram <laughs> girlfriends yeah. and stuff. Um, Bobby Kimball, singer of Toto, is 76. And he's he's singing his heart out here. Yeah. Sorry, I keep making comments. but No, he's upset. He he looks a little bit like Magnum P.I. there. <laughs> he does. Yeah, right? that is a very... That is good. I like that. All right. Uh, time for some trivia, so let's get to it. We got some trivia. This week in rock and roll history, trivia... Yes, let's get to it. Time for some trivia this weekend. Rock and roll history trivia for you guys in 1986, okay? So this was a big deal in the record industry when this happened. Uh, from this artist or band, I don't want to say which because it uh, could theoretically give it away. It goes on on sale for the first time in 1986. Uh, they didn't allow a lot of like commercial music from the UK, from the US, from wherever. Like, they, they restricted a lot of that stuff, right? In 1986, that all changed. So what was it for the first time? Was it A, the Beatles, B, Pink Floyd, C, Michael Jackson, or D, Comrade Crosby and the Siberian Cocaine Express? <laughs> that, that's a really, that one is elegant. That is a good band name. That and is I, a really I good think they had a really good concept album at the time. It was a little, you know, off, I think. David, you know, he went there and he just kind of maybe got absorbed in the culture and felt like he needed to make that album. I don't, I don't really. Instead of his newsboy hat, he had the big. (laughs) It was the big furry, yeah. The you know. Um, I'm gonna say I I think it. I think it's got to be Michael Jackson. Mm. Michael Jackson. Okay, so 1986. And, you know, this is the height of his career, but Pink Floyd, Beatles, they all had a storied career. Beatles. Beatles. All right, well, let's see who it was. Uh, 1986. It was actually the Beatles. Oh, my God. That's right. The Beatles records officially go on sale in Russia for the first time in 1986. I guess it was a big deal because there's, uh, we're in the late 50s. So. <laughs> you know what? We have a, a actually a Russian-inspired commercial that we haven't played in a long time, uh, so we should play that for you guys. This uh, was all based on the fact that there is a, did you know, there is a different version of McDonald's over in Russia. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They have their own version of McDonald's. Well, in the pandemic... Uh, around the pandemic era, this all kind of fell apart, and the Russian McDonald's uh, franchises didn't work out because of the war. There was a, you know, they they backed out of the situation because they didn't want to support. You know, look like they were supporting that, right? So, this company came in there 
called Vikuzno Itochka and replicated the McDonald's brand and kind of menu and everything. And they were acted as replacements for McDonald's at when they pulled out. So this company came in, Vikuzno Itochka. So we're going to play this ad for you guys so you can all check it out yourselves. I mean, aren't you guys interested? You want to see it, right? Heck yeah. Vikuzno Itochka, let's do it. Yeah, check it out. And now a message from one of our sponsors. Hello, American Joe. I am Russian supreme businessman and leader Alex Potov, and I single-handedly bring tasty, authentic McDonald's burgers, fries, and shakes of milk to your fat American mouths. You're the lose. Have no fear, McDonald's may have pulled out 850 restaurants out of the motherland, but Alex says, not so fast. I must break you. I make all the same food for you now in my new restaurant, Vikusno Itochka. Real champion. Vikusno Itochka sort of means tasty and that's it, okay? You like food? You like this. Remember Big Mac? Now it's Vikusno Mac. Same sauce, same bun, just not real cheese now because our cattle are starving. You can't tell difference. Remember 10-piece chicken nugget? Now just one-piece nugget because our chicken run away from us. So not as many nuggets from before, you know? What's that meat, you ask, American Joe? I'll tell you, it's fresh meat organs made by our 3D printers, the best in the motherland. Real beef? No way. Remember quarter pounder with cheese? Now it's mortar pounder with disease. Made from ground up mortar shells and plague juice from impoverished nation. It will hit your spot. So don't forget, Vekusno in Tochka means tasty and that's it. Okay, amazing. See you soon, American Joe. Wow, yeah, so there you go, Vikuzno and Tochka. Uh, you know, we had a, a Russian-themed trivia question, so why not get a, give a shout-out to them? Well, you know, one of the big reasons that the uh, Soviet Union fell is that they didn't, they didn't maximize uh, their consumer product development. Right, and, they and weren't that made all the printing kids, their meat. Now that made all know. the kids want... Beatles so much the, they want they have you opening know? <laughs> they like. you know? All right, are you ready, David? We got uh, new rock and metal album oh, releases. Gosh, okay. Uh that just came out this Bring week. It. I want to see this list. March thirty first, twenty twenty three. Are you ready? Yeah, All I, right. I'm gonna give you a quick visual heads up oh, here. That looks really long. Yeah, I know. It's, there's there's oh, quite gosh. a few. I don't know if you're gonna be able to do it. Okay. <laughs> All oh, right, man. go for it. Go ahead, start. Ad infinitum chapter three. Archetypes collide. Archetypes collide. Behemoth, Grom, Fury tomorrow. Uh, the seventh son, cave in until your heart stops. Crown lands, fearless. Dem Demon sealer, the propaganda machine. Empire, relentless. Hawkind, Days of Underground. 1977 to 1979 box set. Last timeline. Uh, Jericho. Oh, where'd it go? Lordy, Screamwriters Guild, Lotan, Lotan, Meshuga, Obzen, The Netherlands, Severance, uh, Nervo, Chaos. Sonic Wrath, Nothing Nowhere, Void Eternal, the ongoing concept again, Lucifer, Existential Reckoning, Rotten Sound, Apocalypse, Sir Adam, Solway, Serpent, Visions of Atlantis, Pirates Over Wacken. Oh my gosh. You got it pretty much. That was pretty good. 
That was I was out of control. Sam I am stowaway sermon of golden verse visions of Atlantis. I missed Sam I am. I didn't even say that. And I know you kind of uh, started speaking in tongue at the <laughs> end. <laughs> I did, I did, didn't I? But it was good. It was good. That was pretty close. Uh, so those are some good releases. All right, check it out. New movie coming up that's kind of interesting. Have you heard of this? It's called Killers of the Flower Moon. With Leonardo DiCaprio, directed by Martin Scorsese, also um, Robert De Niro in this one. It's a historical drama about the murders of native people over oil-rich land. It will be released in late October based on a hit book with the same title, Killers of the Flower Moon. And the film will, as I mentioned, star Leo and Robert De Niro. So I think this sounds kind of interesting. It's kind of a highlight on a historical thing maybe you don't hear too much about, right? Well, it's like one of those things that I think it, the assumption is that, oh, that happens in, uh, you know, Guatemala or right. whatever. Not here. Um, not not here. here. But the truth is, is it happened then when we were expanding territory, just like they yep. expanded Guatemala, and it's happening again. I don't think Canada. it's a. I don't think it's a popular talking point either, because no, a lot no. of people that have American pride and American kind of values. This is the dark kind of corner of that American um, beginning that people don't like to talk about, that yeah. they kind of gloss yeah. over in history and stuff. So it will be interesting to see uh, Martin Scorsese's interpretation of that, uh, you know, historic, historical, uh, you know, information. We'll see what happens with that. It's kind of cool. I like the idea. Killers of the Flower Moon. So there you go. All right. This is what we were mentioning earlier. Um, another big mudslide, landslide. Uh, in Ecuador, that uh, 16 people were killed and 16 others injured. A massive landslide buried dozens of homes in an Andean community in central Ecuador. Mm. Uh, the country's emergency response agency um, said that seven people remain missing, you know, uh, 137 miles out of the capital. But it just seems I wanted to, uh, you know, highlight this. We're not always talking about California stuff, but it seems like this is happening in a lot of other places as well. Yeah. Just very extreme weather. And just, um, you know, uh, our listeners in the international community, we are constantly looking at that stuff here as well and uh, feeling your pain as we go through, you know, a lot of similar things here uh, in the United States. So. Just I see these things and I'm like, man, just uh, it's it's all over the place and it's just very extreme weather right now, right? Yeah, and it, it's it's uh, something like this reminds you how many people live in you know these people they're very likely in informal settlements and literally on top of each other on top too, of each right? Other, like right all in, in barrios that yep. that's all they can get to live in. There's no formal like recognition of their land rights and yep. and they've got to. And then think about no services the, for making yeah, sure there's retaining walls. Think and about stuff the, like that. the the hospital and the uh, EMT and the fire response yeah. in some of these countries. Like they're doing their best, and I'm sure they're they're amazing people and all of that. But I'm so fortunate that you know, at least in you know here in the U.S. and California, when we have mudslides in Mariposa, say, or uh, some of these other areas, we have multiple fire agencies from all over kind of congregating and helping helping each other out and we have yeah. all of these resources available t- to us here that are not available in these other countries that uh, make me feel for them even more you know just kind of like man uh, I hope they are able to pull through this so yeah um, all right so that's news from around the world um, this was an interesting uh, hot topic we don't have to delve too much into this 
Want to get your opinion? Narcan approved for over-the-counter sale. So people are like, oh, great. People can just get all spun out now and not have any consequences to their action because Narcan's over-the-counter. But to me, I'm like, at least it's available for people to save your life. What, which would you rather have, somebody's life being saved or the fact that this is maybe a political hot-button issue? What do you think? Well, I mean, the... These are always tricky, you know. It's like the the solution, you know, for for uh, for drug addiction and 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 you know the the related social problems is deeper. Obviously, like we've got Definitely. a lot of work to people to on help the surface solve society, right? Yeah, people on the surface like to say, "Oh, this is an easy way out. This yeah. is an easy way for people to just get spun out." Overdose, and then they can do this to bring him back to life. Yeah, so it is deeper, but this is a, we're talking about people's lives. You know, what you can do to save someone's life. You know, whatever you can do. I mean, this is a, I mean, this kind of brings to to mind the situation in San Francisco. Yeah, for me, it's like, you know, they they're working on trying to figure out ways to make drug use uh, less lethal. Yeah, right? and less uh, socially less, impacted, like yeah, yeah, uh, to where the you know people are walking around stepping on needles, things yeah. like that. I mean, so I mean, and it's it's gotten rough in San Francisco. It's you really know, rough related to this, but at the same same time, it's like, well, at least they're trying to do something. Yeah, you know, I feel like trying it, to figure out. Something. I feel like it's the you know on the good side of things. I feel like yeah, yeah, you could say that it enables people, and maybe some people might abuse that fact. But yeah. in the end, I think it's good to have this as something that uh, is a, a fail-safe and a, a lifesaver. Yeah. It, we're talking about life or death. It's not just like enabling addiction. This is, you know, when you actually overdose, and these are the things that could save your life that EMTs and things like that are already using. So, Well, also when you look at what it is dealing with, right? Fentanyl, heroin. Fentanyl is know, so fentanyl severe. Fentanyl is one of those things that it's, it's so severe, and it's like... You know, people don't even necessarily know right. they're using it. They're, they think they're know? buying coke and it's yeah. laced with fentanyl. Yeah. They think they're buying ecstasy; it's laced with fentanyl. Yeah. So honestly, if I had a 18 year old daughter that was doing that shit, I'd be like, "You buy one of these and you tell your friends. If I pass out, I have this in my bag. Something like that. You know, to be yeah. honest, like I, I don't want to, you know, get too in the weeds with yeah, it. But like I feel like not like you're like encouraging anyone to do no, it. No, but it's like but no, if you're, this is this is a safety measure. You, you know, know? I, I know that you're going to do this. In my mind, as a parent, I'm like, all right, if you're already experimenting with these things, have this as something that you could do to save your life because I won't be there to do it. You know. Yeah. So I think in the end, maybe it'll save more than it will harm anything. All yeah. right, let's get into yeah. something a little more interesting, a little more fun, a little different. Uber Eats. Cracking down on these ghost kitchens. Have you heard of these ghost kitchens? Have you heard of that term, first of all? Uh, no, but I'm. this is very interesting. So a ghost kitchen is a restaurant on Uber's platform that basically operates from somewhere other than a brick-and-mortar building. Okay. So it could be my kitchen here at my house. It could be at Agave's down the street. I just use their kitchen, right? Okay. And I have an Uber restaurant called Fantastic Mexican Food. Okay. And people will be able to order from it, 
and have it delivered to your house, but it comes from you don't know where. That's why it's called a ghost kitchen. Okay. Because it doesn't have a brick and mortar solid location, right? So, their business exists solely for third party apps. No one can go in there and sit down and actually eat. So, Uber Eats is planning to remove a lot of these 5,000 redundant virtual restaurants and up to 13% of digital only establishments. So, what do you. What do they mean by redundant virtual restaurants? Well, the experience of redundancy can lead customers to feeling like they have fewer options instead of more variety. So an example of this, 14 brands all serving the same deli sandwiches in New York. Say there's a famous style of deli sandwich, like the Italian something or other. The spaghetti meatball. Yeah, there can be a ghost kitchen that's like specifies in that or has that as one of its menu items and makes it from a legit place that can be its own entity as a ghost kitchen with that recipe if that makes sense right uh -huh. so like like theoretically if you had some kind of fancy uh, type of chicken sandwich or whatever gold foil chicken sandwich there could be 14 different brands all serving that type of sandwich right so Uber allows that at the moment, but right now they're trying to filter that out to where you can't have that. So to me, it's kind of a, I think it's kind of a little of a controversial thing to where it's cutting out a lot of the smaller people that are trying to do the ghost kitchen thing out of their home, out of renting out a friend's restaurant or whatever, and just saying, no, only the major chains can do this. You can't all say that you're making this really good chicken sandwich even if you have the same exact recipe technique and cooking apparatuses you can't make this chicken sandwich the guy fieri spicy chicken sandwich i can make it from my ghost kitchen from the same recipe that says guy people are searching for guy fieri chicken sandwich for an example not that it's actually a thing 14 different restaurants right now can make that sandwich same recipe all that right and you as a consumer have more options they're saying it's redundancy and it's that you don't have more options what do you think of that kind of thing that approach you know what it sounds like to me is and i don't know exactly the uh business plan for uber eats but what it sounds like to me is they i mean all these guys I mean, uber Amazon, right? They function on a model of monopoly. Right? Yeah, that's how they. That's how they. You know, once they corner a market, then then the price stays high. So I mean, is this a situation where you have someone selling the product for cheaper in a ghost kitchen mm -hmm. with fewer of those costs, and then that is cutting into? Because I don't know what does Uber Eats ask from each of these. You Something know, is it a flat it's gotta rate be, or yeah, is it based on a proportion? Yeah, I don't really no, know. That's a good point. So we I would wonder if it's based on a proportion, they're probably like, oh man, these smaller kitchens, they don't make as much money right. per person and I can't charge them as much. Right. So I wonder about that. I don't that's know. That's a good point. We don't know all that. Yeah. I mean, that's what I would think. They they give these examples right. like fourteen same deli sandwich, twelve restaurants selling identical breakfast burritos in Colorado. I guess I mean, really, though, incidents, I guess, of popular things. It's like Uber Eats. 
like Uber cares about brick and mortar, really. They don't. Like, They're that's their whole the thing big... is to destroy, like, taxi right. unions, get rid of, like... That is a good point, you know, man. That's their whole thing. So that seems to me it's an excuse. They're trying to... Because there is this... People are realizing now that their businesses, Uber, all those different businesses, are destroying brick and mortar. They're destroying yep. sort of local communities. So do you think this is them, like, the, the brick and mortar kind of industry lobbying... For this type of a change that they've finally, I, I kind of wonder if it's more of a P, PR, if it is, or fact. a financial bottom line thing. Yeah, I think it's either financial bottom yeah. line or it's a it's a PR thing combined with a financial bottom yeah, line. Yeah, probably both. Like, See how we're supporting brick and mortar, right? But they're like, yeah, but it's always the bottom line, right? right? So I don't know. That's it is, quite, it is that's interesting. interesting. I'm gonna keep my eye on that. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay, this is. I think this is our last. No, what? Two more stories. All right. <laughs> Smelling sweat can relieve your social anxiety. So, do you get Heck nervous yeah. when you meet strangers? <laughs> well, this is a new study from uh, in in Sweden, from the Karol Karolinska Institute, have found that sweat odors can help lower social anxiety. Fear of social situations, of course, hot flushes, shaking, panic attacks. A lot of people go through them. So they say that those issues fell by 40% when patients were exposed to a smelly armpit sample and mindfulness therapy. Those who only underwent mindfulness therapy just saw a 17% reduction, but when combined, it was 40%. So you're saying the mindfulness is placebo and the stinkiness is the medicine. Another important part, it all involved women. All 48 participants were women. So interesting. Yeah. Now, whose sweat was this? Was this a man's sweat, a woman's sweat? Or? The photo they gave on this article was a man's sweat, but he's like he's like standing in a what is that like a, a subway or a, um, a streetcar or something like a bus, and some ladies are kind of like standing right by his open arm. So I don't know. Do you? I I think that would actually be a deterrent from social anxiety is actually smelling the sweat and stuff like i gotta say when i'm at concerts that's the last thing i want to experience is smelling someone else's sweat i enjoy like kind of looking at people from afar um and, and kind of people watching but i, I don't wonder. i don't enjoy being like up close by people and smelling sweat and other stuff like that so i mean this is interesting because it automatically makes you think okay this is a hormonal response Something like that, you know. Yeah. You know, you're a, a, a drop in cortisol once you smell the sweat. <clears throat> so I mean, it seems like some sort of evolutionary social mechanism, right? Maybe something tied into. I know I've heard the the term like with, uh, you know, other opposite sexes, that they enjoy the other person's scent. Yeah, you know, like so pheromones. Yeah, like I enjoy a woman's other scent. A woman enjoys a man's scent. And so maybe there's something there that's kind of calming about that as well. That, yeah, maybe they find a, a kind of weird solace in that. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I feel like you know we are we're we're social. We're evolved to be social. Yeah. So you know that's one of those just inherent smelling things you another can't, person. You're like, oh, yeah. you know that if that person isn't attacking you, maybe it's like, like a dog, oh, nice. like a dog investigating another dog, right? Maybe we don't the, have to go the and human smell version their butts, of that. We just smell no, yeah, it's to smell your armpit. I like that instead of smelling a butt. All right, I'd shoot. All right, what do you think about this though? Would you eat a mammoth meatball? 
An Australian company called Val has actually created a meatball made from extinct woolly mammoth meat. David, and like it is they on dug display. it up, or they did it? No, they grew it. No, they grew it in a lab. They are investigating lab-grown potential of other animal meats from alpacas and peacocks. Remember, I was talking about the you know lab-grown meat that's popular in um, companies. Yeah, 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 not companies. Countries like Russia, where they don't have cows, they don't have cattle, they don't have things like that. So. For them to be able to genetically engineer meat is a big deal for a lot of these countries. And, well, and now there's people just doing it for almost, like, kind of vanity and fun reasons in a way. Like, can we make, you know, saber-toothed tiger meat? Can we make T-Rex meat? All I can say is, why do they have to make it like a ball? I know, right? Like that an looks like meatball. a freaking copper light. It looks like dinosaur poop or something. The idea is to create meat, more meat sustainably. So they're trying to do this as a political, not a political, but a uh, publicity stunt where they created this meatball okay. to, to, to raise awareness about this. They're saying, quote, we're constantly scouring the earth for unique cells or combination of cells to inspire great new products and even better eating experiences. The woolly mammoth went extinct 10,000 years ago, and scientists have used elephant DNA to fill in the missing gene links, which is actually a, a technique used in the fic fictional recreation of dinosaurs in the Jurassic Park film series. If you Well, I was going to say, I was like, damn it, this is that? sauce. I want some T-Rex meat. I know. Well, but you have to find an existing animal that we can draw a real DNA from. A chicken. From. They probably just T-Rex tastes like chicken birds or a chicken because those are they're the alligators chickens are the closest living relatives yeah they say birds birds and uh ch chickens yeah because chickens don't have the front the front hands right so <clears throat> this is my question though are they, i've been hearing a lot about this um and i i need to look into this creating meat in a lab is more sustainable or they they frame it as sustainable. supposedly is it really? Like, yeah. I'm wondering about the. Uh, I don't know, you know about that. No, I agree. That it takes to make that. And it meat seems like it takes a long time, and it's like not very like efficient. It's a little teeny little. And then yeah, what is the cost of running these labs and and having this DNA like preserved properly and et cetera, yeah. et cetera. I mean, I really wonder about that because I mean, my chickens. Right, dude. You just put them out in the yard. They eat the grubs. You let nature do its thing. Right. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's messing with all that. We'll have to see. Okay. One last story, Beautiful. which is a weird one. Shark experts can't tell if this is a toy. So you guys got to check what? this out on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash rocknewsweekly, YouTube at rocknewsweekly. They're confused because they found this toy online, and I'll show you a picture of the toy. This is an actual shark below here on number B, right? Yeah. This is a real one. A is the one that they found on the beach recently. Now they're decide they can't decide if it's an actual shark or not. This guy Giannis Papadakis took the original picture, supposedly of this goblin shark in 2020, and the image was published in the Mediterranean Marine Society journal in May. So they made it as a new uh, kind of, you know, discovery or whatever, right? The goblin shark usually lives at depths of 4,000 feet, 
which is why spotting one close to shore is rare. Some marine biologists noted irregularities in the picture, some claiming in the object question is actually a plastic toy. So then, after it was debated, the photo was redacted, uh, claiming uh, that it was remaining uncertainty, right? Now, here's the pictures I'm going to show you now. <laughs> Look at this. Here's the toy from the Sharks & Co., which is supposedly a life-size toy that you can buy. Here's the what they found, and here's the real one. So from looking at these photos, do you think that these top two are similar and that this could be very well just a toy that was left in the water for an extended period of time? Or do you think it's an actual shark, goblin shark? Which I, is B. I think it's a toy. You think it's the toy, yeah? Yeah, I think it's the toy. I kind of thought that too. And look at what they point here on. People can see it on the YouTube channel, YouTube at Rock News Weekly. You can see it here. Look at the red arrows that they put here of the 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 distinct features that kind of make it a thing. Oh, see how the nose? Yeah, the I nose the, is kind of different. The nose curves downward, curves. and it looks. Look at the maybe gills. a little thinner. There's little gills right here with this like kind of dark spot. Yeah. And that fin, this fin on the back is a dip. The pectoral fin looks a little nubbier on the. And see, look, the a. real ones like more like fanned out, like straight. Yeah. This one's got that dip. They yeah. were saying that this one has that dip right here, and that also has the dip. Yep. Interesting. Hmm. So, goblin shark or not? What's your verdict? What's your verdict, David? I. It's. It's it's a fake goblin shark. Yep. But goblin sharks are the best of all the sharks. I agree with that statement. I I think you're right on the money. All right, that's it for us this week, guys. Everything at rocknewsweekly.com, all socials at rocknewsweekly, YouTube the same at rocknewsweekly, twitch.tv/rocknewsweekly. Follow us, watch us live every week. We'll see you guys next time. Have a good one. Peace. See you later.